later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared with them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from a cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. All right, so there's a little bit of homework for today. Of course, it's my first weekend back preaching after maternity leave, thanks. So, you know, I just have to tell you an enormous amount of this gospel. So I'm sure that's going to get really boring. So, in the meantime, I want you to think about these three things. Think about a time in your life that brought an enormous amount of sadness, grief, loss, whatever it might have been. And then think about a time in your life where you said something or you did something that you know hurt someone very close to you. And then the third thing I want you to think about is a time in your life where you said something or did something that brought joy to someone's life, or it was a moment that was filled with compassion, or a moment when you extended forgiveness to someone else. So you don't have to share these with anyone but God. You can think about them in your head as we talk, or write them down on your bulletin to kind of help you keep track of all those things. Now I'm going to tell you about what happened to me last Sunday. Last Sunday was my first Sunday back teaching Bible study in between the services, and we're using this video series. So a Uh, one of a theologian from across the country comes on and talks for like 20 minutes and then there's like printed questions to discuss as a group together. So I'm thinking, great, easy peasy. I can just kind of like show up and kind of talk them through all these questions. Guess what the topic is? Why did Jesus die on the cross? What does that mean? And what does the cross mean for our life of faith today? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I don't even understand it all myself, let alone remember anything I was taught in seminary between what was Anselm and what was Abelard and like, ugh, keeping it all straight. So anyhow, we made our way through that conversation in like the 55 minutes that we had to do to try and figure it all out. So here's what I'm going to do today. 
I'm going to give you a really, really super simplistic summary of all of the centuries of thought on the topic. <laughs> Very brief. If anyone wants to go into this further than 55 minutes at some point, let us know. We would be happy to put together maybe like a six-week Bible study. But for right now, one of the theories of atonement, of why Jesus died on the cross, is this idea that Jesus died for our sins. We hear that a lot. Anytime we hear that phrase, we hear of this idea that all of us are human. We're imperfect. We make mistakes. We, we fail at times. We're not perfect. We end up hurting one another. And so there's no way for us to be able to fully correct all of those things. And so somehow through Jesus' death on the cross, he pays for that debt, for the things that we have done to one another and to God. Jesus died for our sins. And, at, and while this has, over many centuries, been used as a negative to bash people over the head with guilt and how awful they are, at its very heart, it recognizes that we're not God. We're not perfect. We are going to mess up at times. And Jesus died so that nothing can separate us from God. All right, next one. Something known as Christus Victor, that Christ is victorious on the cross. This is the idea that, Je that understands Jesus' death on the cross as sort of this cosmic freedom over the power that sin and death and the devil have on us and in our lives. It's not a ransom paid to the devil, but it's Jesus choosing to break everything that would seek to separate us from God eternally. At the very heart of this view is what we hear in Matthew's gospel from the very beginning of how God wanted to be with us. And so God chose to become human in the flesh, in the person of baby Jesus. And that God, Emmanuel, is with us throughout our entire lives. Now, another way to look at Jesus' death on the cross is that it's a moral example. It's an example of who Jesus was at this time in history. And let's face it, the things that he was saying, the things that he was doing, were not making him very well liked. Not among the Jewish leaders, because... He was teaching about God in ways that were very different, ways that were challenging their own teaching. And among the Roman leaders, because people kept on talking about Jesus as the Savior who had come. And the Romans feared that the Savior would take away the very power and authority that they sought to hold over people's heads. And so Jesus' death on the cross is merely an outcome of how he lived, of the people he upset, of the people that he always fought for with his words and his actions. 
the people who were most forgotten in that world, the people overlooked, the people who were mistreated, the people who he desperately wanted to be able to be connected to God. And again, holding to this belief that God in one is in Jesus, God is willing to go to such great a depth that God would be willing to suffer and die for our behalf on the cross. To be able to experience the pain that humans sometimes feel. Maybe not exactly crucifixion, but the pain of betrayal. The pain of feeling so alone, of feeling as if you've been abandoned. To know that kind of pain. Now we could keep on going on with all of the nuances and all of those theories and all of the other ones that we haven't even gotten to yet. But before we do any of that, we have to spend a little time on today's gospel story and this mountaintop climatic experience. But before we get to that, who knows what happened immediately before chapter 17? Chapter 16. Okay, sorry people, that is the best I got for humor today. You're just going to have to go with it. I'll keep on working on it as time goes on. But chapter 16 comes before chapter 17. And Peter has his like brilliant mountaintop like affirmation from Jesus immediately followed by the low of lows in his discipleship career. Who knows what happened? Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, well, some say Elijah, the great prophet of old. Some say John the Baptist. And then Peter, Jesus gets to the most critical question. But who do you say that I am? And Peter, in this moment of brilliance, of God coming out of his mouth through his words, he says to Jesus, you are the Messiah, the anointed one who has come to save God's people. Messiah in Hebrew, same word as Christ in Greek. And Jesus says, yes, on you, Peter, you are the rock of whom I will build my church on. Peter got it. And then Jesus goes on to say to him and the rest of the disciples, you know, I'm going to have to suffer and die pretty soon. And what does Peter do? He immediately tries to deny it. No, 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 Jesus, say it's not so. That can never happen. Don't you remember? You're the Messiah. You have work to do. And Jesus' response, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And just like that, Peter is brought down to the low. And then we're led up to this mountaintop, along with Peter and James and John. And all of these amazing things happen. Jesus meets up with two great prophets of old, Moses and Elijah, these two great teachers. But here also lies our struggle with the cross and what it all means, what it means to follow Jesus. Do we really want to be here? Do we really want to follow Jesus if what it looks like is being willing to pick up our cross 
and follow him? What view of Jesus do we hold on to? And maybe how we think about the cross is some combination of all of those, or maybe it's some other theory that I haven't even touched on. This week we begin the season of Lent, our journey that eventually takes us to another mountaintop, that of Gethsemane and Jesus' cross. And on Ash Wednesday, we can acknowledge who we are, our humanity, the fact that we're not perfect, we all make mistakes, we all fail at times, but where we'll also be invited to think about how we have been created, that we have been created by God, and God said, you are good. And to be able to think about how we can use that good for as long as we are able in this life that we live. Do you ever notice that when you spend a lot of time focusing on the negative, on all of the things that are not going right, of all of the things that you wish were what they aren't, it's really hard to see the good. It's really hard to see the positive, to see the blessings that are all around you. When is it that you have been on the mountaintop? Think about a time in your life when it has felt as if God is so close. Think about a time in your life when God felt so real. Think about a time in your life when it felt as if God was actually speaking to you. Maybe through the the words of someone around you. Maybe through music. Maybe through something that you heard from the scriptures. And it just felt as if God was right there. Maybe it was a mountaintop sort of high where you experienced such a great joy. Like the gift of a child. Or maybe it was actually in a valley low where you knew that even despite what you were going through, you weren't alone. Or maybe it was just an everyday, ordinary moment of your life when the light bulb went on and clarity emerged. Notice in our gospel reading all of the details, all of the adjectives that are used to describe how Jesus was transformed. But yet it's Peter who had a transformation of his own. Because not only does he see Jesus' humanity, he sees Jesus' divinity. And though he might not fully understand what it all means and what everything about the cross is going to mean, he is struck by the awe of the moment, to recognize that God's ways are not human ways. And as he hears, again, the words that were spoken at Jesus' baptism that are now true for Collins too, those words are spoken for you and me as well. This is my child, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Along with that command, listen to Jesus. But then on top of all of those amazing things that happen, the most amazing thing of it all happens. You know what that is, right? 
Jesus comes and touches them. He touches them and he speaks those words. Get up. Don't be afraid. You know, if God in Christ created us and called us good and ultimately doesn't hold our failings against us, why do we? Why do we hold those things against ourselves? Lord, it is good for us to be here, to be able to see who you are a little more clearly, and to be able to see that we in you are the beloved children that you call us to be, to whom has been proclaimed, you are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And that, that is pure and simple grace. Go back to the times in your life. The time in which you felt a deep sadness. Maybe it was long ago. Maybe it's where you are right now. Maybe it was a loss, the death of someone close, a miscarriage, a relationship forever changed, a time when you felt all alone, a time when you felt as if there was no hope to be found. And maybe what you hold on to in those times is that view of Jesus as Christus Victor. And that death and pain and loss don't get the final word in our lives. But that one day, eternal life in God's presence becomes real for us all. And as you think about the times in your life when you said something or did something that you know hurt someone, maybe you disappointed them. Maybe you let them down. Maybe you cut them off somehow. Then maybe do spend some time to acknowledge that, to acknowledge that mistake that was made, and to seek to try and make amends with that person in some way. And if it's not possible to be able to do that, then that's maybe where you hold on to that idea that because of Jesus, he's able to do what we're not capable of ourselves. That he does have the power to redeem what we can't. That he has the power to reconcile what we might not be able to in this life. Last of all, and maybe having heard Jesus' words of grace to us this day, maybe that's what we do each and every day. We strive to do one simple thing that shows love, that shows compassion, that offers forgiveness to someone around us. Pure and simple grace. Maybe not so much a theory as it is something that we have already experienced. And if that's the case, and we too, just like Peter, have been transformed. And we hear Jesus' words to us, Get up! And do not be afraid. Amen. <laughs>